0: Chapter 27 of The Cruise of the Falcon by E. F. Knight. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27 Descent of the Rivers. There was a race meeting at Asuncion while we were there, an important one too, a sort of Paraguayan derby, but all seemed very unfamiliar to our eyes. Imagine a tropical moor with palm trees and bananas scattered about it and wastes of red sand here and there. The course was worn bare of vegetation by the feet of many horses, and was of soft earth, something like that of rotten roe. As is usual in South America, but two horses ran at a time, divided from each other by the partition that I have before described. As is also usual under South American system of racing, there were about fifty false starts to a race. But no impatience was manifested by the quiet spectators. There was no grandstand, no bookmakers, no merriment, no debauch. Twenty white-draped women were squatting in a row with bottles of gin, dulces, or sweetmeats made of guava, prickly pear, and other fruits, to vend. Very few of the people, and none of the jockeys, wore boots. There were many of the soldiers about. These two, non-commissioned officers as well as privates, barefooted, as is the economical custom of this army the uniform of a paraguayan tommy atkins is not costly a cheap kepi a coarse blue blouse and white pantaloons complete his outfit as i watched the racing i noticed that there was a white man far taller than any paraguayan and clad in the dress of an argentine gaucho who was watching me intently at last he addressed me do you feel inclined, sir, to back any of this here crowd as is going to run now? Surprised at hearing my native tongue spoken by a gaucho on a race-course in the center of South America, I stared at him, speechless, for a moment, and soon recognized through the deep tan, unmistakable Anglo-Saxon features. Well, I said, I should not have taken you for a fellow countryman. No, I suppose not i've been in this country some years now and don't think i shall ever get out of it it's too much trouble one gets lazy-like up here besides my little woman there pointing to one of the vendors of gin and dulce is not a bad sort i don't much care about leaving her as i evinced some curiosity to learn how he first came to the country he continued it's not a long story during the war i was a sailor on a british gunboat lying off montevideo deserted shipped on an argentine man-of-war came up here to fight these poor devils and somehow between this and that i never got back again here i am still the lazy lotus-eating spirit of the land had evidently after all these years completely possessed the man and like ulysses mariners he had forsworn the stormy seas and put out of his mind his far island home and all that he held dear therein succumbing to the soft dreamy influences that were ever around him in these regions of perpetual summer where sooth to say no living white could work ne cared even to pay general Caballero, the president of this republic on whom as in duty bound we paid our respects on our arrival expressed a desire to visit the falcon the first yacht that had ever navigated paraguayan waters so one afternoon after giving us due notice he came off to us in the presidential barge with don jose segundo de cud the minister of foreign affairs the chilean minister and others the first magistrate of paraguay is a fine-looking man with no indian blood in his veins indeed more like a good specimen of an english squire than a paraguayan the expression of his face is kindly and no man in the country is more respected and loved this is the same caballero who as general under lopez showed such high military qualities and routed the brazilians in many a bloody battle he is not a great diplomatist but is the very man for paraguay in the present day a plain straightforward trooper without any of the wild ambitions or impossible political schemes of his predecessors even the brazilians like Caballero, though he thrashed them so frequently and thoroughly for he bears a character for humanity and has never been accused of committing the fearful atrocities that disgraced nearly all the other generals of the tyrant after enjoying ourselves very much for about a month in the capital and the country round it it was proposed that we should up anchor and descend with the current to the distant ocean once again but now a strange thing came to pass. The crew of the falcon had become enamored of soft, barbarous Paraguay. Jardine, Arnaud, and even the boys were loth to leave the land and declared their intention of deserting the falcon when she reached Buenos Aires and returning up the river. The boys had a rather vague idea as to what profession they would take up, but Jardine and Arnaud talked a good deal about coffee and tobacco planting AND WERE EXCEEDINGLY SANGUINE ABOUT THEIR PROSPECTS. SUCH WAS THE ENERVATING EFFECT OF A MONTH'S DWELLING AMONG THE LOTUS EATERS. I FELT THE CHARM OF THE LAND MYSELF, BUT AT THE SAME TIME, AN IMPATIENCE AFTER OLD ASSOCIATIONS, THE CIVILIZATION, DINGY AND UGLY THOUGH IT BE, OF OLD LONDON CAME UPON ME. THE EUROPEAN CANNOT LONG BE A LOTUS EATER, there is an unsatisfied, melancholy expression on the faces of most of the English gentlemen that are settled in Paraguay and cannot get away that dyspeptic recluse immortalized by our great poet, who sad under dark English skies, hungered for the soft, savage summer isles of Eden lying in the dark purple spheres of sea, was foolish only for a moment and knew that better of fifty years of Europe than a cycle of Cathay i do not believe that paraguay is altogether the country to recommend a young englishman with some capital to emigrate to land is cheap it is true but labor is not easily procurable and the distances to the nearest marts for any produce are immense on sunday the eleventh of september we bid adieu to our friends at asuncion weighed anchor and proceeded under all canvas down the river before a dry and hot northerly wind THAT RAISED THE TEMPERATURE TO 90 DEGREES IN THE SHADE. OUR UPWARD JOURNEY HAD OCCUPIED 91 DAYS, BUT WE ACCOMPLISHED THE DOWNWARD VOYAGE IN 22. THE RIVER SCHOONERS, with THEIR LIGHT DRAFT, HAD NEARLY INVARIABLY OUTSAILED US AGAINST THE STREAM, AS I HAVE EXPLAINED FARTHER BACK. BUT NOW THAT THE CURRENT WAS WITH US, OUR DEEP DRAFT WAS IN OUR FAVOR, AND NOT A SINGLE HOMEWARD BOUNDER COULD KEEP UP WITH US, EVEN WHEN WE WERE RUNNING FREE when we had to tack we of course defeated the galetta still more easily had we chosen to sail by night as well as by day i am confident that we would have made the fastest voyage on record down the parana just before we started we were visited by a strange scarecrow a man lean and of starved appearance clad in a ragged blouse and trousers his naked feet were sore swollen and full of chigos he took off his greasy old cap and commenced to address us with a voice hoarse and indistinct from long exposure to the heavy night dews in very excellent french he said he was a starving frenchman he wanted to get down to buenos aires where he might find employment would we give him passage in our vessel he would work his way willingly we consented to take the poor fellow with us as a deck passenger he certainly did work his passage with good will always trying to make work of some kind to do when there was none very obvious at hand washing was his great forte he would wash everything without waiting for orders from the plates to the tiller his nautical education had been neglected but he tried his best to become a sailor during the voyage to look after the foresheet when we went about was his especial delight the fierce earnest way in which he would tackle it each time was very laudable he evidently thought that the safety of the vessel entirely depended on his proper handling of this rope he came to look upon it as an enemy to be bravely attacked yet cautiously circumvented but at first he used to charge it with a blindy land peculiar to his race till he was brought to his senses by sundry hard knocks on the head from the heavy four-sheet block as it banged about backwards and forwards while the vessel was coming into stays he explained that he was a lithographic workman and had imprudently left paris for buenos Aires, where he was told the wages were high at buenos Aires, he discovered there was no room for him and was advised to go to asuncion in which capital he found that there was still less demand for men of his trade seeing that there is not a single lithographic establishment his career had been rather a checkered one he had fought for the commune in Paris, impressed, he said, against his will, and had received a severe bayonet wound in the leg. He arrived at Buenos Aires 20 months back, just in time for the last revolution there. Having no papers of nationality with him to prove that he was a Frenchman, he was again impressed and forced to fight against his will, this time receiving a rifle ball in the head as a trophy. In Paraguay, being unable to find work, he had lived on oranges in the woods, a not very fattening diet, though the Paraguayan troops often fought for weeks on no other food than this. We had three other passengers as far as Vieta, friends of ours, who had been invited as well as ourselves to a baile at that town, given in our honor by the captain of the port. These were a moneylender, an ex-minister of finance, and a merchant for this is a democratic country wherein presidents usurers publicans and sinners all seem to be on much of a same footing and associate together in a most natural way current and strong wind both being with us we reached Vieta in three hours and came to an anchor off the little town like aragua and many other of the old jesuit settlements it is built on the summit of a lofty grassy down that slopes down to the water's edge it consists of one square three sides of which are of low houses connected by a deep veranda the fourth that looking toward the river being open with four ancient black wooden crosses of huge size planted at equal distances along it there was a steamer and several schooners lying along the shore which were being loaded with oranges by a long stream of laughing white-draped girls mountains of the golden fruit lay on the bank while lumbering bullock wagons constantly brought down fresh supplies from the groves. A quaint scene, very characteristic of Paraguay. We landed, ascended the down, and found our host, Colonel Godoy, and a sumptuous repast awaiting us. This gentleman, now Comandante of the Port, and Jefe of Vieta, is a very good type, indeed, of the Paraguayan man, such as there were many of before the War of Annihilation not tall but very broad and muscular with a profusion of curly black hair bright black eyes and a broad mouth that is ever opening to smile and laugh revealing two rows of large white teeth he presents a remarkable and pleasing exterior but beneath the joviality that he shares with all his race it is easy to perceive that there lurks something of the savage tigerish spirit that is also in the paraguayan blood though it be but seldom awakened even lopez was an amiable man enough till he had tasted blood Senor godoy is a well-known character he was one of lopez's most dashing and valiant colonels and distinguished himself on many occasions during the sanguinary five years war he received in different actions no less than fifteen wounds of which some were very severe I may mention that the foreign surgeons that were attached to the Paraguayan forces state that not only did these men bear the most painful wounds and amputations with extraordinary stoicism, but that they recovered rapidly in cases that would almost certainly prove fatal to Europeans. Of the Negro troops of Brazil, they report exactly the reverse one of the chief traits of the paraguayan character brought about by the long training of the jesuits is complete submission to any constituted authority else how can we explain the unquestioning manner in which the decrees of the tyrant lopez were obeyed when he ordered every officer that proved unsuccessful in action to be shot when he put to death so many of the best and noblest of the land simply because they were such there was no attempt at disobedience, no symptoms of rebellion displayed themselves. Thus, Colonel Godoy, who was narrating some of his experiences to us, said When we were marching to X, there were many women and children with us, weak, half starving, who greatly impeded our progress. Lopez, hearing of this, enjoined me to cause every man, woman, or child who could not keep up with the rest to be shot thus in many cases my men had to shoot their own sick relatives it was butcher's work i did not like it but we had received the order and we had of course to obey the chief but this evening the gallant colonel was employed in a manner more congenial to his kindly nature after dinner he brought out his guitar and accompanying himself the while sang to us in a fine deep voice the wild songs of the guarani narancaros or songs of the orange gatherers and war songs breathing bitter contempt for the monkeys of brazil when all was ready for the baile the colonel ordered his barefooted soldiers without to fire their muskets and let off crackers as an invitation to the townsfolk they were all prepared for this and immediately responded to the summons the women flocked in the booted ladies and the unbooted maidens that had been hard at work loading the vessels with oranges all day mixing familiarly in a very republican sisterhood in this land equality is not merely a political watchword but here alone it is possible for all men and women are equally well bred all gentle in their manners the ostentation and false pride of the patrician being as unknown as the coarse brutality and vulgarity of the plebeian when one wearied of dancing it was pleasant to leave the stifling ballroom and walk awhile in the grass-grown square the view from the four crosses on the edge of the down was impressive the broad river gleamed under a brilliant moon beyond it stretched a long streak of flame where savage indians had fired the chaco in a great ring so as to hem in and destroy the tigers and wild beasts whose skins formed their clothing after a pyrotechnic display with some of the rockets and blue lights from the Falcon stores, the ball broke up. The colonel and his men stretched some hides out in the middle of the square, the usual bed place of the tough veteran, and lay down to sleep on them, while we returned on board. The spring was now advancing, and we found it uncomfortably hot in the cabin at night, so throughout the downward voyage all hands were wont to sleep on deck, of course under the mosquito nets for these pests were much more numerous than they had been during the upward journey different insects now pestered us at different hours of the day so we were able to divide our time very accurately according to their visitations in the morning when the sun had acquired an altitude of about twenty degrees the mosquitoes retired and then turned out in dense clouds annoying little winged insects that possessed long suckers and left black spots behind where their probes had entered the skin. In the afternoon these would be relieved by the equally troublesome sandflies, who would bite vigorously until it was mosquito time again at sunset. Before leaving Vieta on the morrow after the ball, I was buttonholed in the regular ancient mariner style, by a venerable Genoese with a glistening, fascinating eye and a tangled mass of snowy hair. Said he, I have a disclosure to make unto you. There is, I believe, gold, 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 unlimited gold. And he stretched out his arms as if to encircle a huge sack of the precious metal. Gold, and I know where it is. Come with me and get it. The Indians have told me. Up the Pilcomayo the sands are made of gold they have cooking vessels now of gold that their civilized ancestors made i have no money i cannot get a boat to go up the river and get all this gold oh misery misery all this gold and i cannot get at it and now seizing me fiercely by the arm and speaking slowly and distinctly you are a milord inglese you have some gold buy a steam launch take me and we will go together up the rio Pilcomayo and we will get it all gold do you hear gold oh holy mary gold i could not deliver myself from the clutches of this enthusiastic old man until i had promised to think the matter over but he shook his head sadly at my half-hearted manner as he let me go gold gold all that gold glittering in the sands for us and you hesitate there was unmistakable madness in the glare of the man's eye and Don Juan explained that his fellow countrymen, commencing life as a sailor, had become a sea captain, then an owner of many ships, and lastly had invested all his capital in lands and vast herds of cattle in this neighborhood. Now it happened about three years back that the Asuncion newspaper accused an Italian of having murdered a certain woman in that town. An Italian forthwith proceeded to the newspaper office and blew out the editor's brains with a revolver, the italians of whom there are many in asuncion took their countrymen's part and for eight days fought the government troops at the head of this italian revolution as it was called was my acquaintance with the snowy locks and the glistening eye when the emute was put down the government punished him by confiscating all his lands and cattle utterly beggaring him this calamity affected his brain and now he roams about an innocent but wild and weird old man with a crazy head chock-full of visionary schemes. Not, however, that the Pilcomayo gold scheme is necessarily such, for many of these tributaries of the Rio de la Plata wash down gold, though it is doubtful whether the exploration of this particular stream would prove profitable in that way. On the 13th of September, we again experienced one of those remarkable and sudden falls of temperature that are such a feature of this climate. We had been sailing all day before a light north wind under a cloudless sky, the thermometer registering 93 degrees in the shade, when suddenly the familiar haze of the dust storm was seen rising on the southern horizon, and the quick-gathering masses of cloud indicated the approach of the Pampero hurricane. We hastily lowered our mainsail and shifted jibs. We were at this moment sailing close by the Paraguayan shore and passing a lovely grove of lapachos and oranges glowing like fire under the lurid glare which the sun, shining through flying clouds of dust, cast upon all nature. In this grove were some ranchos, the occupants of which, three women with flowing white robes, draping but not concealing the beauty of their statuesque forms, on seeing us, came down to the river-bank and like the maiden of longfellow's excelsior called out to us in silvery voices go no farther come and anchor here safe is this port see the tempest comes but like longfellow's youth we were obdurate to the voices of these sirens and with reluctance brushing the tears from our eyes we shook our heads and shouted back excelsior or something to that effect and sailed on towards the storm of a sudden our sails were taken aback and with terrific thunder lightning and rain the pampero broke on us from ninety three degrees the thermometer fell rapidly to seventy three degrees which seemed quite cold to us we tacked down the river against the gale until sunset under mizzen and head canvas alone on the fourteenth of september we anchored for an hour off formosa the argentine military settlement on the chaco shore we found here a village of log huts occupied by a battalion of troops of whom many were employed in clearing the forest digging drains carpentering tinkering and so on we were told that these were military prisoners and received no pay for their work in this case about a third of the battalion must have been prisoners at the time of our visit a fact not much to be wondered at for the argentine soldiery is raised from the dregs of the populace these men looked like thorough scoundrels they were but at the same time had a very hardy appearance and indeed even hostile critics allowed them to be splendid troops brave and enduring fatigue and hunger with the fortitude of the indians themselves we had run short of salt meat but found it impossible to purchase any at formosa for regular rations are served out daily to soldiers and civilians by the commissary and he is forbidden to supply stores to passing schooners or other strangers. End of chapter 27